Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Today on the show, we're looking out into the desert. And what do we see? Limitless podcast episodes. Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe. From Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV, and today, comic books. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And we are back with House Atreides. Yes. The graphic novel comic series that's <laughs> still happening. It's coming out, folks. And we are on issues five and six. Yeah. So, Leo, you and I, just a refresher for folks who might not remember. Right. Leo, you and I have been reading and diving deep into the ongoing prequel comic book series, Dune House of Trades. Right. Which is written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. As you stated, we have covered issues one through four in previous episodes. So today we will be diving deep into issues five and six of the comic book series. We'll be sharing our insights and our thoughts on the story so far, and we'll be connecting this prequel series to the lore of the original text. As uh, as best we can. <laughs> because yeah. <laughs> some of these things don't always line up between the Brian Herbert writings and the Frank Herbert writings, but it's fun to see some of these illustrated panels. We get to see some of the characters and places that we love. Yeah. And... The last kind of bit of housekeeping before we talk about the pages themselves. Mm -hmm. This is a spoiler episode. Yes. So, yeah, we'll be talking about, of course, what we've seen thus far of House Atreides. We have not read the Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson book, so we're not going to be spoiling the end of this story arc. Although, I guess, I guess it ends with Dune. Hopefully. <laughs> it, I, hopefully it ends with Dune. That's, that's really what I'm holding out for. But we will be discussing some light topics from other parts of the Dune franchise. Again, we're not going to be hitting those heavy, heavy. Uh, let's just quickly talk about the ending of book four. No, probably not. Right. Still, just know this is technically considered a spoiler episode. Yeah, it's a prequel series and we can't talk about the prequel series without acknowledging the actual <laughs> series itself. So right. fair warning on spoilers there. All right, let's jump into issues five and six. And as we did in the previous House Atreides episodes, we'll be going through each issue scene by scene and breaking down the action. But before we jump in, actually, mm. I wanted to acknowledge, Leo, that I've really been loving the cover art oh, yeah. for these issues, and in particular, the cover art for issue five. I'm right there with you. The covers of these issues are so beautiful. Yeah. So incredible. In fact, the art, I think, overall, and we've said this in previous episodes, we love the art and it's gorgeous and so well done. So I wanted to 
take a second here before we deep dive into the issue to just shout out and recognize the illustrator Dev Promenick and the cover artist Evan Cagle. Oh, yeah, guys. Great work. Really cool work from those guys. Yeah. All righty. So let's get into issue five then. The comic opens up on Arrakis in the very first scene in the conference room of Red Wall Siege, where Nabe Hanar and his council are debating what to do about <laughs> about the pesky <laughs> imperial planetologist and disarmingly <laughs> handsome man. So handsome. Pardo Kynes, <laughs> who has just arrived. Yeah. And his handsomeness not stopping them from really considering killing him. <laughs> he did save Stilgar. Yeah. So, you know, it's not unanimous. Generally, there are some people who are kind of like, nah, he seems fine. He's inspiring people. He's a good, good dude. But they're generally suspicious, right? They're like, ah, he, we don't trust him. Right. <laughs> He's super enthusiastic. He was in the siege for all of like five minutes before he started pitching a planet-altering plan. <laughs> yes. So... <laughs> This guy's got balls, sure, but uh, do we trust him? Not really. Uh, so let's vote. Let's vote about it. Right. And so they cast the vote, and lo and behold, they decide that Pardo Kynes must be killed. Dun-dun-dun. How dare. Meanwhile, while the vote on his life is taking place, Stilgar's sister, Frieth, brings a relaxed and totally unaware of his impending doom Kynes... <laughs> Some food and spice coffee. My dude is just chilling. Looks great. Looks comfortable. Yeah. Looks like it's a nice room. Yeah, he's looking great. And you know what? I think Frieth notices. <laughs> yeah. Because at this point, Kynes sort of asks Frieth to stay and eat with him. You know, hashtag spice coffee and chill. <laughs> I was speaking from Frieth's perspective. I was like, wow, he looks great. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What a slice of off-worlder. Am I right? Yeah. Mm. Yum. <laughs> but unfortunately, before they can get down to business with spice coffee and chill... Turok shows up and offers to give Kynes a tour of the siege. And Pardo Kynes, being the geek that he is, <laughs> instantly forgets all about Frieth, all about his spice coffee and chill action, and decides he wants to get this tour of the siege. Quote, I'd like to see everything, he says. Frieth blushes. <laughs> also, I'm getting the sense that these Kynes, you know, this is Pardo, and later on we meet Liet, they seem to have a... a a tendency to 180 on things pretty quick. Yes, yes. He's like, join me. Yeah. We'll drink coffee and lounge together. <laughs> What's that? A tour? Sure. <laughs> Yo! <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> Frieth is like, okay, a little offended. Didn't mean to take that personally, but I did. Right. So, uh, okay, here we are. Yeah, poor Frieth. So, Kynes goes on this tour with Turek. He learns a bit more about Fremen manufacturing, how they make their own still suits, and he sees some of the machinery in the Siege that shows how far these Fremen people will go to preserve water. Right. Obviously, water on Arrakis is life or death. Super important, especially out in the deep desert. And they head to the roof of the Siege or the top of the Siege. And Pardo here sets up a weather station on the roof to, I don't know, measure some stuff, I guess. He's an ecologist. <laughs> He's setting up ecologist shit on the roof. Guy loves weather. He's like, <laughs> got to know what's going on. The Fremen's like, just look in the sky. Like, right. It's, it's cloudy. It's, cl it's cloudy. Look. So at this point, Turek turns to Kynes, who is sort of longingly staring out into the desert in this panel. Right. And he asks him, quote, Imperial man, 
whose name he clearly forgot at that point. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, oh God, I know it. I know it. I know. <laughs> this is embarrassing. Oh, man. These uh, off-world Im- names are so confusing. <laughs> Imperial man. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> right. So he asks, quote, Imperial man, what is it you see when you stare out into the desert like that? And Kynes replies, quote, I see limitless podcast. Uh, I mean, I see <laughs> limitless possibilities. <laughs> uh, what a charmer. What a charmer and a dreamer, man. He's out here. He's got a vision. Very clearly, this is a moment of Turok being like, we're not friends. I'm not going to use your name. But I do love the read of <laughs> he just forgot. <laughs> yes. And he's like a little embarrassed about it. Yeah. So amazing. So good. So moving on to the next scene, we are in the Grand Palais, I just learned how to pronounce that, on Ix, <laughs> where young Leto Atreides, love him, mm. is running back from his run-in with the Suboids. Yeah. And that still makes sense. And tries to warn Prince Romber. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Prince Romber, he's skeptical. Right. He's like, eh, whatever. Yes. You know, they barely speak language. They're so poor. <laughs> they they don't even have brains, I don't think, last time I checked. So definitely explaining away the, the lower classes on this planet that he's to rule. Yeah. He does promise at least to say, yeah, okay, I'll tell my dad. Yeah. Earl Dominique Vernius, who's got the just best mustache, who, meanwhile, is chatting. With his daughter, Kaylee. Yeah. About how, basically, to outmaneuver Emperor Elrude the Ninth, and of course, as always, finding her a husband. Right. <laughs> because you can only do so much of the brooding and the planning and the plotting. You got to hook up at some point, right? Yeah, totally. And look, this seems like a conversation they've had before because they're <laughs> right. pretty comfortable talking about this and Kaylee is reassuring her father, it's okay, I'll find a match that will help House Vernius. And, uh, you know, I don't want to read too much into this, but this seems like some pretty easy to grasp foreshadowing considering (laughs) the oogly eyes Leto and Kaylee were giving each other in the last issue that we talked about in our last episode. This seems like pretty intense foreshadowing here about a potential relationship between Leto and Kaylee. We'll see how that pans out. They also, after that conversation, briefly discuss Leto's warning, so Romber followed through. He passed along that message, even though he didn't believe it, from Leto that the subboys are rising up, that he walked in on a revolution slash unionization meeting. And Kaylee and Dominic Vernius both do what Rombard does and basically brush it aside. Quote, oh, they're only subboys. They're just grumbling. As a side note, can we keep in mind that this is the ducal heir of House Atreides, who is not an ignorant kid. You know, he's young, sure. But he also was, lest we not believe his whole story, chased with murderous intent by these people. Yeah. So even if you're like, oh yeah, I don't think that they can overthrow the government, could you take it a little bit seriously that your guest was like nearly murdered by a mob? Yeah. He's your steward. Like someone else, another powerful house, has given their heir to you to yeah. train and watch over. <laughs> yeah. The dude just got chased out of the subway area and could have died. Like, investigate that. What are you doing? They're like, ah, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> happens all the time here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, they, they dismiss that subway threat 
And uh, I don't know about you, Leo, but I'm sensing a bit of heavy-handed foreshadowing here. I think the subway threat's going to come back and bite him in the ass. You know what? To quote Dominic Vernius, ah, no, it's fine. They're just grumbling. <laughs> oh, they're grumbling. They didn't get their snacks. Those grumblers. <laughs> we should call them grumblers. I don't know why we call them subway. <laughs> they named themselves, and they did a bad job. They should have named themselves grumblers. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next scene. We are in the Emperor's Palace on Kaiten. Yeah. Where a Tleilaxu representative has just arrived. <laughs> I think he's a Tleilaxu master. Yes. Which is baffling. Yeah, you can tell from his swirly goatee that he's a master. <laughs> yeah. If you recall, in our previous episode, we talked about how Shaddam and Fenring, our boys, have set up this royal audience with the Tleilaxu master because they have that plan to create artificial spice. Right. So, Tleilaxu Master Haidar Fen Ajadika. Good, good effort. <laughs> Butcher that. Yeah. Ajadika, yeah. Ajadika arrives to have an audience with Emperor Elrude IX to talk about this artificial melange scheme that Shaddam and Fenring have come up with. Now, at first, Elrude is absolutely disgusted by the Tleilaxu's presence. There's a great quote here. Quote, Everyone in the Imperium knows the Tleilaxu are devious and unclean. Why should I listen to this man? And I got to say, Leo, my man's got a point. <laughs> yeah. They made sligs. <laughs> sligs. Sligs. Disgusting. So gross. So unclean. So at first, Elrude's reaction is perfectly normal when it comes to being in the presence of a Tleilaxu master. Right. But he quickly comes around once he hears the juicy details of this plan to create artificial spice and to give House Carino and the Emperor a monopoly and to break the monopoly of Arrakis, create this artificial spice, have control over the most powerful and valuable substance in the universe. Yeah. That's a pretty sweet deal. Now, one catch in that deal is they need some high-tech manufacturing facilities. If only there was a place. <laughs> if only there was a place. <laughs> just a planet full of high-tech stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, Elru knows just the planet. More foreshadowing. <laughs> right, right. A little bit later, we get a souk doctor with just the biggest diamond on his forehead. Just the <laughs> largest, enormous, clunky diamond on his forehead. <laughs> bigger it is, the more talented you are, I guess. I don't know. It's not all about the size of the diamond, Leo. You know, it's <laughs> about the proficiency with how you use the diamond. <laughs> it's how you administer the imperial conditioning. <laughs> it's not the... <laughs> he arrives. Ellis, Ellis. Ellis, mm -hmm. Ellis. <laughs> yeah. Arrives to attend to the sickly Elrude, who is, reminder, only sick because he's being slowly poisoned <laughs> by... <laughs> Of course, Count Hasimir Fenring and Shaddam IV, his son. And the doctor's like, you know what? Looks great. Right. Looks wonderful. Maybe he's just old. <laughs> Maybe this guy's just an old man, which... I don't know. This doesn't seem like a great doctor. No. No, maybe we should shrink the size of that diamond a bit. We got to bring that diamond size way down. He was over-evaluated, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine going to the doctor and the doctor just being like, I don't know, dude, you're just kind of getting old, you know? People get old and die. Yeah. It's probably your time. <laughs> I will say there is a bit of a question here. There's a panel where Shaddam and Ellis, the souk doctor Ellis, yeah. talk about payment. And I don't know if that's supposed to imply that Shaddam is also paying off the doctor to basically not give any sort of diagnosis or not actually run tests that might catch the poison. 
I believe that's the implication. There's just a single panel where Shaddam and the doctor are talking. So I'm not sure, but that is probably my headcanon, is that Shaddam and Fenring have also paid off this doctor to continue their scheme to make sure that Elrude dies and dies quickly. That makes a lot of sense. I know that there was this sort of slow-acting poison that's catalyzed by the beer. Yeah. You know, Fenring, this is Fenring's scheme. You kill him with the thing that he loves to drink. Correct. So my understanding was that would also, like, evade poison snoopers, you know, because the poison is in him. It's not in the beer. It's not in anything. It's it's catalyzed by the substance, which, again, is that kind of Peter de Vry, uh strat of kill him with the antidote, basically. Yeah, yeah. So that that was my rationalizing of that. Like, a doctor, a trained doctor would be like, no, there's... I mean, yeah, you're clearly not doing well. You're so bad looking. So wrinkly, my guy. Here's some cream, <laughs> so, dude. Your hair is white. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this doctor hasn't heard of aging. It's <laughs> <laughs> just baffled by the thought of aging. <laughs> That's so silly. Uh, yeah. So uh, that was my understanding, but I think maybe a combination of the two, right? Yeah. Avoid Elrude's snoopers, but also have a doctor who's not going to look too closely or like go, well, nothing that I can see is wrong. So let's take this further and take like a, I don't know, a blood sample or something like that. Right, right. Totally. And in fact, to really hit this point home, you talked about the catalyst that is activating the poison inside of Elrude. While the doctor is there in the very room, Shaddam's like, yo, bring some more spice beer for the old man. He loves to drink it. And so they bring him spice beer and the dude is just like in his deathbed drinking spice beer, which, as we know, and as Fenring reminds Shaddam in this scene, is the catalyst that's activating the poison inside Elrude. Right. So our boy Elrude is not long for this world, especially if he continues <laughs> to chug spice beer in bed. Yeah, he's definitely living that college life. <laughs> a little later, I'm going to rant a little bit about why it doesn't make sense for a Tleilaxu master to be... <laughs> literally in the Kaiten Imperial Court. But let's talk about the next scene because we're not done with the Tleilaxu yet. Yeah. And uh, and we'll get back to them. For sure. So in the next scene, we are back at Redwall Siege on Arrakis where Nabe Hynar commands the assassin to take out Kynes. He's like, you know that guy? The one, the one guy the in this one place? Guy. The assassin's like, which one? <laughs> yeah, no, the guy, the handsome one. Oh, yeah, him. Uh, kill him and take two watermen with you to collect his water. And in just the most, I don't know, it's a cold gesture. I think this is like a very mafioso gesture of kill him, take his water, and I don't know, quote, maybe we could use a small amount to plant a bush in his honor. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't I didn't know how to read that panel either. Is that a I don't know. Is the is Nabe Heinar being vindictive here and being like, "Ah, we'll give him a little bushy in the in the corner that no one will ever look at." I I don't know. You're right. This is this was a confusing panel for me as well. I will say given the sort of like blocky nature of some of Brian's other writings, Thinking about it more, I suspect that this is very much, this man wants to change the whole world. Well, maybe we'll just give him a bush because his dreams are built on nothing. Yeah. And I see it as that very, you know, in some of Brian's books, we have Fremen like flashing Chris knives as an intimidation factor for off-worlders, which 
it's not not really how it works. You're not supposed to do that, right? You're not supposed to do that. Don't show anyone the Chris knife. What are you doing? Yeah. Totally. But okay, I've seen 1950s like mob movies where they're like, yeah, show them your piece. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that this is, I think, in that tone. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. It's maybe up for some interpretation. Yeah. No, I, I agree. That's a That's a good read on it. But actually, speaking of Kynes wanting to change Arrakis and having this dream, that's exactly what he's doing. Right. In the next couple of panels, we see Kynes visit a young Stilgar who is still recovering from his wound from that battle in the desert a few issues ago. And Kynes is just walking around Red Wall Siege, talking to young Fremen and sort of yelling to anyone with an earshot about his dream to transform <laughs> Arrakis. Yeah. And he actually has this group of young Fremen sort of following him and grouping around him and listening to what he has to say. And the assassin decides, you know what? This is a good tactical approach. He's played Assassin's Creed. He knows what's up. Right. You get in the group and you sneak in close and you stab the guy. So the assassin approaches, sneaks into this group. And in what is quite possibly the most inexplicable series of panels in this entire issue. Yeah. Kind sort of sees the assassin and turns to him and yells at the assassin <laughs> to remove yourself. Yeah. And the assassin is so overwhelmed, apparently, by the force of Kynes' will. Hair care routine. And his hair care routine. I mean, you look into the guy's eyes. And you're... Remove myself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Clearly, the assassin is also overwhelmed by this, and he ends up stabbing himself. And there's actually this quote right before he stabs himself. He thinks, quote, if I kill him, Will I forever be remembered as Uliet, destroyer of dreams? And then Chink stabs himself in the chest instead. What? What? <laughs> I was going to start a sentence, decided to change that to a question. Uh, first of all, to really paint this picture, because I know not all of our listeners are reading along with us on these comics. Pardo is listing types of fruit that he's excited to bring to Arrakis. <laughs> He's like, melons, I don't know, berries. Oh, it's going to be great. So many things. And then he just turns and goes, remove yourself. And I guess he just has the voice. I guess he just... I thought he was using the voice here for a second, yeah. For a second. But no. Again, that would break all precedent of no man ever having Benny Jesuit training. Wild. Wild. And we get that little bit of like internal justification from this... Also, Pardo just goes back to listing fruit, basically. <laughs> He's like, get out of here, knife man. Anyway, going back to the fruit I was listing. And then when the guy dies, he's like, what happened? Right. He's so caught off guard. Yeah. yeah. And the other Fremen are like, that was completely unexplainable. <laughs> like, they're kind of in the same position we are. We're looking at these panels going, what? <laughs> What just happened? Yeah. They, yeah. being the sort of traditional, they've got their religion. Superstitions. They've got their superstitions. Exactly. So they're like, you know what? Clearly, God uh, wanted him to be correct. And God protected him against that man with a knife. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a great hair care routine. I mean, what a prophet what that a... this man is. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know. This was definitely a pivot for me in the <laughs> in reading the this issue. Yeah, this scene was a turning point for sure. Yeah. Where I was just like, what what just happened? Uh, I, I don't know if this is a fault of the 
writing or the panels, like it almost felt like we were missing a few panels here. Yeah. Like more needed to happen in between to explain what the fuck just happened when he turned and said, remove yourself. But at the end of the day, the assassin stabs himself instead. And the Fremen are reinforced in their belief that Kynes knows what he's talking about and that his dream is the correct future for Arrakis because God wills it. Right, right. Now, moving on to the next scene, we are once again back on X. And we're just chilling with Leto and Rambar. I think they're like playing chess or doing homework or something. Probably Cheops, right? Yeah, yeah, probably. Or Chops. Yeah. Cheops. I've never said that out loud. (laughs) (laughs) When suddenly an explosion goes off in the city. Boom. What? Who could have known? (laughs) Who could have known? Vermilion hells, Rambar yells. Oh, I love it. The subway revolt has begun, Leo. How could we have known this was coming? (sighs) If only we had... A first-hand account (laughs) of the exact planning session. From a reliable source. (laughs) Of them going, here's how we're going to blow up the city. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, Vermilion Hells indeed. Indeed. Damn. The explosion goes off and Romber and Leto are whisked away by the palace guards. We are in DEFCON 1 emergency situation, folks. And Rombar at this point wonders how this is happening. How could the subways organize such an attack? And he comes to the conclusion (laughs) that they have to have some sort of outside help. They could not have done this alone. Leto's like, no, I I saw a meeting. You're asking how they organized it? They (laughs) they were like having meetings and stuff. I'm here with valuable information. (laughs) (laughs) No one's listening. They must have been helped. Right. Turns out they were, but it's a lucky guess on Romber's part, no doubt. Lucky guess indeed. Meanwhile, the subvoids are simply rampaging through the city. And while they're doing so, they are screaming jihad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're just yelling jihad, jihad. <laughs> and Romber hears this and wonders why the hell they're screaming that. And honestly, Romber, my guy, <laughs> I'm also wondering why they're just screaming jihad. My understanding is that it was part of what spurned this attack is that they believe the upper crust of Ix have broken the great convention that came out of the Butlerian Jihad. So they're yeah. kind of scream yelling their justification <laughs> as they're overturning a government. But I don't know. It reads in the panel like, this is what we're doing. We're doing a Jihad, which is not defensible. <laughs> That's not a running through the streets, you know, murdering otherwise innocent people going, Jihad, Jihad. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's a lot. This is kind of a weird, weird moment. It's it's a lot. Yeah. It, it also doesn't track for me because we talked in our Orange Catholic Bible episode when we covered religion in the Dune universe. We talked about how the Butlerian Jihad was an inflection point for people to step back and be like, oh, shit, things got real bloody and messy during that Jihad. We need to reevaluate our belief systems and our religions. And that is what sort of birthed the orange Catholic Bible as we know it today. Right. Clearly people are look back on the jihad like that was a bad thing or that was too much. Yeah. So it's weird that another revolution would be like, yeah, no, that was dope. Like jihad, let's do it again, bro. (laughs) This doesn't track for me. But regardless, the subways are rampaging. They're screaming jihad. And by the end of the scene, we learned that Romber's suspicions and very lucky guesses were correct. (laughs) And it turns out that there are hidden Tleilaxu masters among the revolting subvoids, and they are the masterminds behind this plan. 
Okay, and reminder, I will be ranting about Tleilaxu in a bit. Not yet, because they come up again in issue six, and we should keep this moving. Right. Put a pin in it for now. Also, quick side note, keep in mind, Planet X used to be Comos and is exclusively populated with dejected scientists from the Butlerian Jihad thousands of years ago who they know what they did. It's not that technology is evil. That was like a very small vocal minority on Richie's. You're totally right. This doesn't track for reasons that we covered in the OC Bible. And also I'm thinking about the technology of Dune episodes and the planets of Dune episodes when we're talking about Comos and Richie's. Yeah. Uh, It's just a lot. But anyway, in the final scene, we are with young Duncan Idaho, ship rat Idaho. Hell yeah. (laughs) Who is on a ship approaching Caladan. And... Apparently, I guess, Janice Millam, or Milam, whatever, mm-hmm. paid the ship captain to drop Idaho off at Caladan, I guess just to, just to rub it in Beast Raban's face. Not really sure why. Again, we don't really get their story at all yet. Yeah. I, I guess it's like the Harkonnens and the Atreides. They've got that long feud. So taking someone's thing that you know that they value and giving it to the feuding other party I guess that makes a certain sense. Right. But after the ship captain's like, yo, you actually worked pretty hard. You you seem pretty legit. I feel like you're going to be really good at climbing rock walls at some point. <laughs> How do you feel about staying on and working on my ship? <laughs> that was good. That was Thank good. Thank you. And Duncan's like, ah, no, I need to find Duke Paulus Atreides. Because listen, we got to get to Dune somehow. <laughs> We just You're right. We got to connect these dots, folks. They are millions of miles apart. So I'm just going to arbitrarily decide, you know what? Duke of the planet need to meet him. Yeah. So uh, there we go. We've got a direction that Duncan Idaho is heading in. Right. And this part was also inexplicable to me. I Maybe I need to go back and reread the earlier issues, but I don't think we ever established why or how Duncan even knows about Duke Paulus Atreides. So his motivation here seemingly makes no sense. Like, why is he trying to find the Duke? Who told him about the Duke? Why is he trying to find him? What's, I don't know, like maybe his parents told him about how good the Atreides are. But again, that's a stretch. We're like connecting dots that may or may not be there. We're going out on a limb to try and justify some of these things. Weird. Doesn't make sense. But let's move on. Yeah. That rounds out issue five for us. (laughs) Strong note to end on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. All right. We're going to keep this conversation going, but Pardo Kynes told us to remove ourselves. So we're going to take a quick break. All righty. Moving on to issue six. Yes. The opening scene of this issue, we are back on X, caught in the middle of this subvoid revolution that we now know is led by Tleilaxu Master yeah. Insurgents. Yes. At this point, two days have passed. The subboys are still rampaging and still yelling, Jihad, Jihad. Their throats are not sore yet. Somebody get them a glass of water. A lozenge. <laughs> yeah. Spice melange lozenge. Yeah. Oh, sounds great, actually. <laughs> and Earl Dominic Vernius is pissed. He is in his palais, and he is so mad that Elrude has moved against him. He connects some dots here and realizes this is Elrude's doing. Right. And he's talking to his wife about it. And his wife, Shando, offers to travel to Kaiten and to plead with her former lover. A reminder that Shando used to be Emperor Elrude's concubine. 
before our boy Earl Dominic Vernius swooped in and took her. Right. But the Earl doesn't like that plan, and he won't allow it. Now, there is an ambassador to Ix whose name is Kamar Pilru. Yes. We see him on Kaitan begging Elrude to basically send Imperial support to help quell this uprising, this terrible thing that's going on in Ix. And Elrude's like, no. <laughs> Bye. And then goes to his bedchambers where he... Give me more spice beer. Bring, bring me more spice beer. I want to drink in bed some more. Again, <laughs> I'm a sophomore in college and I know how the world works. <laughs> and he tells Shaddam as he removes himself to his chambers, he tells his son, you know what? Carry out our devious plan on X. You know what? Go for it. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to go great. You've got this son. You know what's going on. And son's like, yeah, I do. So Shaddam's going to take care of it, I guess. Right. But just in case, because the emperor doesn't want to get his ass sued, <laughs> he calls in some mentats uh-huh. to look through the Great Convention, which again is sort of the galactic constitution of this empire. He has the mentats look through scrolls on which the Great Convention is written to make sure that Elrude has a legal argument for the actions that they've taken against X. Because at this point, we as the reader clearly understand that the Tleilaxu are leading the Subway revolt in cahoots with the Emperor because they need the technology on X to make their artificial melange. Turns out, after the Mentats looked through many of these scrolls, <laughs> inexplicable scrolls on which the Constitution is written, they do have a legal argument. And they're safe, legally. They can't be sued. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, why? Why scrolls? <laughs> why scrolls? Putting the great convention on scrolls. Also, this is 30,000 years in the future. We know just from a very brief reading, it's within the first 20 or so pages of Dune that we hear about minimic film strips. We hear about uh, Shiga wire recordings. We hear about Redulian crystals. Crystals. Even like the Distrans thing, which is like your talking into a container yeah there are so many things and also as a huge fan of dune things that i wish i knew what they looked like right right (laughs) things that i wish (laughs) i fucking know what scrolls look like why (laughs) why paper it makes no sense the benny Gesserit have their breeding program on paper it makes no sense also reminder that one of the first training things that a mentat goes through is information storing, data storing. Yeah. Their job is cataloging vast amounts of data, more than you can imagine. You'd think that these Mintats would have read the Great Convention at some point. Right. <laughs> they probably memorized this when they were children. The fact that they have to, like, <laughs> go through it to, oh, we better have our lawyers check on this. No, these are Mintats. <laughs> They're human computers. You go, hey, Mintat, is there a legal defense against what we're doing on X? And the Mintat would go, yes, done. Right. <laughs> we don't need to look through paper scrolls. Get out of here. What is this? Right. Hey, Mintat, <laughs> tell me a joke. Let me look one up on this paper book. <laughs> I don't know any. Oh, man. That's such a good point. I didn't even think of the Mentat angle. I was just so baffled by the scrolls. <laughs> the fact that paper is apparently still being used 30,000 years in the future. We won't harp on this any longer. We already talked about this in a previous House of Trades episode, how it just doesn't make sense that paper is being 
visualized in this comic series. There's no reason for paper to be used. Right. Anyway, moving on. Later, Ambassador Pilru continues to beg Elrude. They're sort of back in the Emperor's audience chamber. And Ambassador Pilru is once again begging Elrude for support. Help us. Save Ix. We're under attack. Right. But the Emperor and the Tleilaxu Master stall. Again, obviously, they're in cahoots here. And this forces the Ambassador to leave and try and appease the Landstrad instead. And that's where the scene ends. I mean, the Tleilaxu does have kind of a nice moment here where he goes, we have evidence of them creating artificial intelligence. And Pilru is like, no, you don't, <laughs> because we weren't. And he goes, no, no, we'll get it for you. Right. We'll bring evidence of you creating artificial intelligence. And Elrude's like, how long is that going to take? Four days. So it's a play. I mean, really, a, a lot of this is like bureaucracy, and it's very performative. Right. It's very, we know how these systems work, and the systems are broken, and this is what can happen in a broken system. Yeah, it's it, frankly, it's a smart play on their part. Yeah. So well done, Tleilaxu Master. Indeed. So in the following scene, we are back on X. Yeah. And the Earl realizes, Earl Dominic Vernius realizes that hope is lost, that House Vernius needs to escape into exile. That is the only way they will survive this insurrection. For some inexplicable reason, though, <sighs> the Earl and Shando can't go into exile <laughs> together. Yeah. And Dominic Vernius makes this clear. He says, quote, Lady Shando and I must separate for our own safety. As a renegade house, all our family members and supporters will be hunted by glory seekers, end quote. That seemingly explains it, but... It doesn't? <laughs> I'm still wondering why. Yeah. yeah, like, it doesn't really. Like, why do they have to separate then? Like, aren't they in less danger together? Or, or wouldn't you want to at least stay with your wife? Like, why do you have to separate? Or, okay, let's say you get found. Don't you want to spend the rest of your time with your wife and love? Yeah. Or you get murdered and she's out there alone with a as a widow? Like, yeah. I don't know. This was very, like, plot reasons for plot reasons. I don't know. Yeah, totally. I, I had that thought as well. Like, okay, maybe they're separating. So if one person gets murdered, House Vernius can continue. But if Dominic gets killed out there and only Shando is alive, can the line continue through the female? We, like, we don't know how the sort of legality of this feudal system works. Is Shando considered part of House Vernius, the leader in House Vernius? I don't know. And also they're going renegade. So what legacy are you even protecting? You're abandoning effectively the Imperium. So much of this just doesn't really make sense, and it's just kind of strong-armed in. Yeah. I kind of read it cynically as it needs to be sad and dramatic, and these panels need to have emotional weight. Totally. So let's give artificial stakes. No, we can't. Why? Because it's more sad this way. <laughs> right, right. We can't, my love. That's really how it felt. And again, if there is an explanation, it just wasn't written on the page, and... I wish it was, because I would have loved to have come out of this feeling something emotionally other than confusion and a mild bafflement. Of, <laughs> yes. Why? Why, mustache, must you abandon your beautiful Shando? Right. I feel the same way. Look, there's also another possibility, and this is maybe reading too much into it, but you and I have established sure. that Earl Dominic Vernius is a snack. <laughs> all right? So. Oh. Oh, I see where you're going. Yeah. What if, and this is maybe my own headcanon, 
he's got another girl on another planet <laughs> that he plans to escape to, and he just needs to get rid of Shanda. You dog. You dog, Dominic. <laughs> or he's just going to Gamont. <laughs> or he's just going to Gamont, you know? If you're going to go into exile. He's like, listen, we, we have to split up for our safety. You go to uh, Portrin or something. Where are you going to go? Uh... <sighs> Could be anywhere. Could be anywhere. <laughs> Go straight to Gamont. <laughs> yeah, I like to believe that that's what's truly happening here. But I think your assessment is actually correct. That yeah, we needed to instill some sort of artificial intensity and emotion into this scene. So they got to split up. Either way, they collect Kaylee and they meet up with Rombar and Leto in the sort of secret shielding hiding place that they have agreed is the rendezvous point. Right. And the plan here, as the Earl and Shando tell the kids, is for the kids to escape on an ship to the planet Kaladin, to basically go back with young Leto Atreides to his home planet, right? and for the Earl and for Shando to escape into hiding. And they have to immediately execute this plan because the hiding place comes <laughs> under attack while they're talking. Yeah. And the kids have to rush to the ship, which they just barely do. Rombar, I had a hard time reading these panels. I didn't know exactly what happened here. I thought he got shot. But then he was fine and just had a head wound. But Rambar hits his head on something at some point and has to be carried into the ore ship. But the kids manage to blast off and Earl and Shando manage to escape the attack. And the ore ship in which the kids are riding manages to get to the Highliner that will take them to Kaladin. Really interesting. Yeah, I was right there with you. I was like, is Rambar dead? <laughs> but then... There's a panel where it looks like someone, some dude fucking gets shot in the chest. And I was like, yeah. Rombar, holy shit. Oh my God, what a development. But then, nah, he's smiling, giving a thumbs up in the background of a panel a little later with like bandages on his head. So guess he's alive and he does arrive on Caladan a little later. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, into the next scene, we get a fascinating look into Wallach 9 goings on. Right. We are in a Bene Gesserit birthing room where Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Moheim mm -hmm. is giving birth to a daughter. We would assume Jessica. Yeah. But actually, I don't know anymore. Uh, yeah. Basically, she she gives birth. The child is, I guess, weak and sickly. Looked fine. Look, looked like a looked like a baby. Yeah, real real cute baby. The cute baby. And all the ladies are like, Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, "This is a terrible <laughs> baby." God, this baby sucks. Uh, <laughs> we should take blood tests to see if it is a terrible baby. And sure enough, they're like, "This is this is a weak baby. This baby's power level is too low. <laughs> no way a baby with this low of a power level could be the grandmother of the Quisats Hatterack. Right? That impossible. So they're like, you know what, Moheim. First of all, congratulations. <laughs> You've given birth to a terrible baby. Uh, gotta do it again. Yikes. Go uh, go have sex with Baron Vladimir Harkonnen again. Right. And and as we've established, the procreation process with women disgusts him. <laughs> disgusts him. <laughs> she also says the sentence, I'm all used up. Ugh. She's like, I've bared, I think she says a few or several children for the Bene Gesserit. And then I'm all used up, which, excuse me, is that really taking into consideration the Bene Gesserit metabolic control and right. the the fact that for some Bene Gesserit sisters, their entire job is giving children. Right. And my understanding 
of especially from like heretics and chapter house you might give birth to many children as many as you really need to because you control every nerve in your body yeah prana bindu baby prana bindu baby also <laughs> jessica knows that she's pregnant like four weeks into her pregnancy with her prana bindu training yeah that's dune one right right moheim didn't know that her kid was i guess a weak awful child <laughs> i don't know yeah so many elements of this also read as like unnecessary drama uh this idea of sorry you gotta go back gotta sleep with v- vlad again <laughs> she's like but it disgusts him <laughs> sweaty sweaty vlad yeah. <laughs> sweaty with his dirty room that he refuses to clean up <laughs> right it's a lot awful what an awful lay for <laughs> moheim a bad one night stand <laughs> So we move on to the next scene, back on X. Once again, folks, we are on a ravaged X as the Tleilaxu are taking control of the planet and, more importantly, its research facilities. Right. And at this point, we're introduced to a new character halfway through this series. (laughs) Sitar Pilru, Pilru you might recognize, he is the son of the ambassador we met earlier. And he narrates basically for us the horrors of this transition of power as the Tleilaxu settle in and take over control of Ix. And he promises to himself and to the reader, I guess, right. that he will continue to fight the good fight, that he will try to take back Ix from these interlopers. Among the Tleilaxu and the Suboids, though, he sees Imperial Sardaukar. What? And he realizes, <laughs> ding, 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 the sort of light bulb goes off in his head. Oh, shit, the Emperor is in on this. The Sardaukar were here supporting the Subboids, supporting the Tleilaxu Masters in this uprising. Why the Sardaukar are in uniform and not disguised, we'll never know, Leo. <laughs> it's it's really baffling, and I think I have to take just a moment now to say Tleilaxu Masters would not be here. No! <laughs> they wouldn't be here face dancers would be here face dancers would be here tleilaxu masters would be back on tleilax commanding everything from the shadows we get very few examples of actual tleilaxu masters leaving tleilax and it's always for something very important it's not we're gonna like watch the battle there are not many of them yeah so mm, i don't even know where to start with my frustration (laughs) (laughs) benny jesuit can tell face dancers apart from non-face dancers by a pheromonal sensitivity. Yeah. They can do that. So the idea of suggesting that at this stage in Dune history, the Tleilaxu have thus far infiltrated this much of the galaxy is baffling and definitely sets up some later revelations from characters to make no sense at all in the original six books. It's just the timeline doesn't work. And I I know this is a prequel. <laughs> Ix is going to get back to the Ixians. It has to. Yeah. So, sure, but there's no fucking way that wouldn't get mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> at any point. Oh, yeah. Remember when Ix was taken over by Tleilax? That was a fucking wild trip. Right. It's That's kind of an important part of your history, my guy. This is baffling. I don't understand it. Yeah, it, it's weird. Th- this whole Ix thing, clearly you and I are not fans. <sighs> anyway. But let's round out this issue. Yeah. We only have a few more scenes to go. In the next scene, we have arrived on Kaladin. Yeah. The children in the ore ship, the refugees from Ix, Leto, 
Kaylee, and Rombar have arrived on Kaladin. Yeah. And Leto's mom and dad are at the landing pad, ready to greet them. It's real cute. Good hosts. Yeah. Until <laughs> it becomes not cute. When Leto's mom, who's clearly been watching way too much intergalactic Fox News, <laughs> yeah. and has fully bought in to the imperial propaganda that Ix had this coming, that Ix was making artificial intelligence and deserved to be toppled. Right. She remarks that she is not comfortable harboring Ixian refugees, especially from House Vernius, who are now a renegade house. And she is uh, not so comfortable with the idea of having Ixians on her planet under her roof, especially because they have, as Fox News told her, <laughs> broken the laws of the Great Convention. <laughs> right. Thankfully, Duke Paulus, my guy. My dude. Doesn't agree with her. Yeah. And warmly welcomes the children to Kaladin and welcomes Rombar and Kaylee and invites them into his home. And it's very sweet. He watches the other news channels. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly a divided household when it comes to news sources. More reliable news yeah. channels. In the next scene, we are on Arrakis. Ever heard of it? <laughs> and we see Janice Millam. Remember her? Remember her? Barely. Kind of <laughs> not really. Uh, thrown out of an ornithopter into the sand as they get clear worm sign. Okay. And <laughs> this, she's like, okay, I'm going to lay still. I'm not going to move at all. It's not going to be able to sense me if I'm totally, utterly still. Yeah. And then hovering nearby, Beast Raban, standing on like the, you know how like ships have that little flap that comes down to like let cargo out, <laughs> cargo, cargo door, I guess. He, he's standing on the cargo door drinking, I don't know, wine or something. Right. Uh, spice liquor. I don't know, something. <laughs> and just tosses it. And it lands kind of at her feet, and then the worm just explodes upward and kills her. I guess. I, I think. Because, again, I get the intention. You know, this is the flicking the cigarette into the pool of gasoline that, again, the mobster would do. Totally. But she seemed pretty close to the ship. I, I don't know. I Yeah. Either the ship would have been hit by the worm, or she's not in the worm's mouth. She's like in front of the worm, but then it's a weird, I don't know. Oh, there's a big worm behind you. I don't know. It was a confusing couple of panels. Exactly. There's this sense of missing panels once again. Right. This scene is almost moving too fast for us to connect the dots of what like what's happening in between. And that's so important. Like as a comic book reader, I understand how important getting the panels right is. You have to be painting this picture in the reader's mind and you you obviously don't draw panels for every single action that takes place that's called stop motion <laughs> totally different <laughs> but you create enough panels to where the reader can connect the dots of what just happened between each panel and i felt like that was missing here once again just like the pardo kinds assassination scene earlier i just feel like we could have used another two or three panels here to sort of show us the action <laughs> but fun fact there were panels, and Pardo Kynes went, remove them. <laughs> remove the panels! <laughs> and you know what? The copy editor was like, oh, Lord, I have to. <laughs> oh, man, will I be remembered as the... <laughs> destroyer of panels. Destroyer of panels. <laughs> destroyer of legibility. Yeah. Pardo Kynes out here editing, real meta, <laughs> editing his own comic. If anyone could. If anyone could. So, R.I.P. Janice, that is the end of her. And also... The end of our entire understanding of this beef between Janice and Raban. Yeah. I guess we'll never truly understand what her motivations were in 
taking Duncan Idaho and sending him to Kaladin and why they have this beef. And I, I guess we'll just, uh, that'll never be explained because Janice is dead. I mean, hopefully some Harkonnen guard is like, hey, what the fuck is it? What's up with that? <laughs> Explain it to me. <laughs> and Ravon's like, oh, I'm glad you asked. So basically we dated. Right. You know, so hopefully someone will reflect back or maybe he'll think about it yeah. when he finds out. I don't know. I'm holding out hope that they kind of retroactively explain it, but you're right. We've definitely moved on from the era of Janice. We've known her so well. So well. So connected to her. Yeah. And she'll be missed. Yeah. Yeah. It it really seems like a beef of convenience to get the plot moving forward, but we'll see. Maybe it'll get explained later. All right. Let's end issue six. One more scene to go in the final scene. We are on Kaladin. And we are once again with our boy, young Duncan, Idaho. Right. Now, we learned that Duncan has been working hard and he's been traveling on ships across Kaladin to slowly make his way to the capital city of Kala and offer his services to the Duke. <laughs> yeah. He is desperately trying to get to the Duke, trying to get to the capital. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. We still don't know why. Yeah. We still don't know where he heard about the Duke. And we still truly don't know what his plan is besides just wanting to offer his services to the Duke. But that's where we round out issue six. And we get like a montage of him. Again, Caladan, paradise planet. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful planet. Yes. He's just going continent to continent. <laughs> just, nope, none of this is interesting to me. Right. Got to get to the Duke. And uh, hopefully that'll make sense at some point. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But you're right. That's the end of uh that's the end of issue six. So Yeah. Habu. <laughs> how are you feeling? <laughs> what do you think? Overall impressions? Uh, I don't know. We've kind of voiced concerns throughout. Yeah. But wrapping it up, what do you think? Let me start with a long and deep sigh. <laughs> <sighs> Longer. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay, that's good. We'll we'll take that. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's a good take. Yeah, yeah, that's a good take. I <laughs> now feel good. Now that we are about halfway through this, well, we are exactly halfway through this 12-part series. Right. I feel less guilty about passing judgment. I mentioned in our previous episode when we were still on issues three and four that I felt it was too early to pass judgment on this series. I wanted to wait and see where things developed and how they continued. Sure. Now that we're halfway, Obviously, still willing to see where things go. Right. At the end of the day, more Dune is best Dune. Right. That's my policy. <laughs> right. I will hungrily consume any Dune content. But this series is not doing it for me. Right. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that this series is uh, bad. Really, really bad. <laughs> yeah. In almost every way. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned how much we love the visuals, and that's probably the only redeeming factor I can think of for Dune House of Trades. The art is wonderful. The character designs are wonderful. It's really a treat yeah. to see some of these things be visualized and come to life, except for the scrolls. Still going to knock them <laughs> on that. Right. But everything else is just so bad. I mean, it, yeah. the characters are so hollow and one-dimensional. Things are just sort of happening for the sake of things happening just to move the plot forward we talked about janice we talked about duncan just inexplicably looking for the duke right 
There are just motivations that simply don't make sense. Subways yelling jihad, jihad, Tleilaxu masters being in the middle of a war zone, which they never would be. They would send the lowly face dancer workers and soldiers. Yeah. The writing is just sort of cringy and horrible in many places. And the pacing is just like all over the place. I mean, we just get this random scene of Janice dying before we get a random scene of Duncan doing hard labor before we get a random scene of subways attacking. It's just yeah. the pacing is so whiplashy and all over the place. And I guess what I'm saying, I'll wrap up my rant by saying, I'm not a huge fan of this series. It would be hard for me to recommend it, even to another Dune fan. Right. But I have enjoyed the visuals, and you know, we we've committed to reading the series and covering it on the podcast, and yeah, uh, we yeah. we likely will. And again, at the end of the day, as harsh as I'm being, it comes from a place of love. Right. It's because I love Frank's original work so much. It's because I love the universe of Dune. Right. And. It's just a little frustrating to see so many balls dropped in so many aspects in a story about a world that I know is incredible and can be incredible if handled correctly. I just don't think it's being handled correctly here. So you'd give it like a like a nine out of ten <laughs> <laughs> based on all that feedback? <laughs> IGN gives that a twelve out of ten. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're you know, we're we're um there's a curve on the grade here. <laughs> right. So it, it ends up being a nine out of 10 with an extreme curve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this series as well, particularly the issues we covered today, but the series as a whole that we've covered so far. I mean, I'm again, we're of the same mind. Uh, generally, the art has been great. These two issues definitely had more instances of I am confused about what is happening based on the art, based on missing panels, it seemed like, or based on, again, just layout. You know, the, there were moments where I wasn't really able to track the action from one panel to the next, and I had to stop and think about it, which is not a good experience when you're reading a comic book. Yeah. To be like, let me figure out how comics are supposed to work. No, you want to get lost in the world. And same thing, I just, I love Dune so much, as our listeners... <laughs> probably get by now and there are so so many things to show and to celebrate and to explore incredibly deep wonderfully written characters poetic moments so many wonderful things to to put to the page and to commit to ink yeah and it seems a real shame that what we're getting is this <laughs> yeah again we are midway we are midway through this series it is possible it's going to have an incredible ending. Now, from what I've read of Brian's books, I'm not optimistic for that that turnout. Right. But also, even if it was a spectacular ending, even if against all hope it was an incredible ending, I don't know that I want to recommend a comic series that you have to get through six issues before it starts getting good. And that's just a, that's a tough look. Yeah. Obviously, you know, I have my specific lore complaints, but yeah, at the the end of the day, it has become as much a chore as anything, which sucks. I mean, again, I'm here for the art. The art is glorious. As you pointed out, the two, the illustrators, let me get their names again. Dev Promenick and Evan Cagle are killing it. I mean, or I guess they killed it. <laughs> Single. Uh, did they do all of the covers or just these two? I think all of them. I looked back and at least issues three and four was also Kegel. Basically, 
everything I've seen of Dev and Evan's work, it, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Right. And I am excited to continue seeing more of this world that I love. But when it comes to like what's happening in the world, I'm like, we got, we got to somehow give Ix back to the Ixians. I guess Moheim is going to sleep with Baron Harkonnen again or not. Or or she won't, and the sickly baby is Jessica because she's gonna rally, and her power level is gonna spike or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. Very Goku. So many. Again, we're halfway through to be introducing these huge shifts. Meeting the son of it, what Pilru, right? Meeting the ambassador's son. Yeah. In issue six, I'm like, is this guy gonna be dead in four panels, or, <laughs> or, or is he gonna be the main character in the next book? Right. I don't know. Right expectations are not easy to form and it's not a great feeling <laughs> yeah that, that's such a great point about not being able to recommend something where you have to get through half of it first before it gets good yeah it's like when people recommend one piece to me and they're like don't worry it gets good at episode 124 <laughs> right right and i'm like what <laughs> no thanks i'll just not watch one piece my guy <laughs> I know, and it's like a masterpiece, and I I get that it's the greatest anime, whatever. But you can't, you can't be like it's nine hundred episodes. Gets good at episode three hundred and fourteen. <laughs> then I'm not watching. I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. I'm a mortal being with only so many hours on this planet. I can't. Right. Luffy can go find his fucking pirate treasure without me. <laughs> you know. Sometimes I just feel like a sickly babe, and we got a room of judgmental ladies going. <laughs> he's not. He's not good enough. So, just can't. that's that's why I don't watch One Piece. <laughs> <laughs> TLDR. That's why we don't watch One Piece. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Mwadib and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path. So, moving on to the next scene, we are in the Grand Palace. Palace? Palais? You know, I was wondering how to pronounce that word. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Is it Pele? Why did I throw myself into this <laughs> sentence? Uh, Wait, Pele pal- pronunciation. You know, oh, we can look this up. We have the internet. Is it a word? <laughs> Pele. Pele. Okay. The French. Yeah. Some fancy way of saying palace. Yeah, Parlez de français. <laughs> in the next scene, we are in the Grand Palace. Palais, I just learned how to pronounce that, on Ix, <laughs> where, you know, on Ix, they're so fancy. They love the French, the French words.